beloved, uh, let's please open your Bibles to the 23rd chapter of the book of Exodus. Exodus 23. Our text this evening will be verses 20 through 20, uh, to 33. 20 through 33. And I just want to mention, uh, I, I just wish, I just would very much love to see many more people here on Sunday evening. And here's why. There are fewer and fewer Reformed churches that are gathering on Sunday evenings for worship. This is a, this is a lapse of a long, long stand, standing and very healthy and very much blessed ordinance. But in particular, this series in Exodus is extremely important. We have a stripe of antinomianism that is effect, effect, infecting every church in North America. We have so separated the Old Testament from the New Testament as to make sense of with less than half the Bible. We need to understand God and his covenant with the Old Testament people, or we will never truly understand Jesus. And if we don't understand Jesus, we will not understand anything. So if you would please make a note of that and call our friends and tell them for the safety of their soul and for the, for the, for the health of the church, not just this one, but every, every church, we need to understand Jehovah and his one covenant of grace, one covenant of grace and the mediator Christ of that covenant of grace. Anyway, exhortation before the sermon. Let me read Exodus 23, verses 20 through 33, the word of our God. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him and obey his voice. Excuse me. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. And when my angel goes before you, and brings you to the Amorites, and to the Hittites, and the Parasites, and the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will overthrow into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites, the Hittites from before you. And I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you've increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates, for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you, and you shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Thus reading, thus far reading God's holy word, let's pray. Lord, uh, many of these things seem strange to us. They seem like many of these... Uh, the teachings do not at all pertain to us. 
but we know, Lord, that uh, the basics of the teaching are here for all your people. For you are, Lord, here presented as the king who leads his church. You are presented as a king who is covenanted with uh, a people, a chosen people, a people redeemed and separated from the world. And uh, Lord, uh, we are especially admonished against idolatry here. We are exhorted to be different from the people of the world. We are exhorted, Lord, uh, to seek your blessing in all things that you might fulfill our days. As such, Lord, there's much here for us, so open our eyes, open our hearts, that we might receive everything we, we have from you uh, in love, and we might store these things in our heart. And we, might, uh, we might obey them, and so please you. And, uh, and Lord, we pray that your name would be great in your church, and that your, great, your name as your church would be faithful as a witness to all, all lands all around us. We pray for your glory in Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Let me give you a little bit of a reminder where we are. Uh, I think it'd be right to remind you of the Abrahamic covenant because God promised land to Abram, and yet he, he, didn't, he died not seeing a, 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 anything of it except he, he bought a portion of the cave of Machpelah to bury his dead. The land that was promised to Abraham is here, uh, given in good description, as the boundary um, in this passage that we just read. And so it's inescapable to see that there is a continuity of, of, of covenant and not just a, 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 a bracketed Abrahamic covenant and now uh, after the people leave uh, Egypt and are assembled at Mount uh, Horeb, uh, we have a brand new thing here. No. Uh, the terms of the Abrahamic covenant are about to be fulfilled through Abraham's continuing children. And that's exactly what Jehovah had promised. A period of slavery, redemption. They would be in Egypt uh, in bondage until the iniquity of the Amorite uh, is fulfilled. Uh, the Lord regards peoples as a kind of a cup, and uh, they are vessels for destruction. He, he knows his own from the beginning, and he knows that he will judge the Amorites for all of their uh, wickedness and their idolatry and all their ways. But uh, he's being patient with the Amorites. They will have four centuries to repent and to seek the God of heaven and earth. But uh, failing that, the Lord will return here and he will drive them, uh, drive out all the Canaanites. And uh, this is what he's doing. He's, he's gone to Egypt. He's retrieved Abraham's children. He's, in, he's inaugurated the Passover as a memorial to their great deliverance. They are no longer slaves. They are free. Jehovah their king has freed them for his own good pleasure. They are meeting here on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai for uh, to, uh, to institute the, the national covenant as a people before they were not a nation. There were families, there were tribes, but not a nation. And uh, it could not be said that there was a, a king. Uh, there were elders uh, that ruled in Egypt, but now they, the Jehovah will be their king. He gave them the Ten Commandments and other laws, civil laws, and they, uh, by which to know God's uh, moral goodness. They are to be uh, a holy nation because God, Jehovah God, their God, their national God is holy, and so the people must be holy. And not that the commandments make people holy, but that the commandments uh, will show uh, when holiness is breached, when sin uh, occurs, when the law is, is transgressed. And then with, with that expression uh, in the covenant, we also have various ceremonial elements that teach the people they may still enjoy communion with Jehovah God. They can find forgiveness through sacrifice. The blood is one that covers sin. The blood is one that cleanses sin. It restores and renews. And then they have other offerings, peace offerings, which we see. We'll see later on the elders, Moses, Aaron, uh, her. Uh, they, they will enjoy, uh, they will dine with the Lord on the slopes of Mount Horeb. The, the Lord is, 
is at peace with Israel because of the blood of the covenant, at least pictured there um, on, the, uh, on the altar that Moses made, or will make. That's a, a future sermon uh, there at the foot uh, of Mount Horeb. Um, now, in all of these things, the, the people have already enjoyed a taste of the goodness of God. It's not like they're going into this covenant without any knowledge. They have seen the mighty acts of God and deliverances. They have seen his kindness in feeding them and, and watering them in the desert, desert. They've seen his fatherly care. They've seen him defeat the enemies uh, that pestered them and, and, and came behind them, tried to ambush them, uh, Am, uh, the Amalekites and others. And so they see that he has power and he has interest in, in keeping them. And so uh, it's a reasonable thing that Jehovah now presents himself as their king in the terms of how to relate to him as a king, as a, as a nation. And that's what we have here. Now, I say this because there's a gross mis misconception. There's a gross mis misconception that uh, these people were under a, a works covenant. And, and, and such cannot possibly be defended theologically. Uh, it is a misconstruction of the scriptures. And it, has, uh, it is exactly what has uh, uh, weakened our churches to the extent uh, that lawlessness has increased. Ant Antinomianism is, is lawlessness. Well, what I mean is basically license, license has increased, thinking that, well, God is gracious and he, he now, the Old Testament people failed because... Uh, of course, salvation by works is difficult, so very few attain. But now we have faith, and anybody can believe, and all who believe are saved. Ah. Riotous mistake. Jehovah, our God, at Mount Sinai is a consuming fire. The Hebrew says he's eating the top of the mountain. That's what the Hebrew says. He's eating the top of the mountain with fire. And the New Testament also said that our God, our God, our Christian God is a consuming fire. Nothing's changed. God is holy. And so we are to peace, uh, pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see God. Now, that's the context. And um, I hope it serves as a, as a strong incentive to go forward to really know the Old Testament, to study it, Keenly, and that's the, the very best way to understand the New Testament. Our teaching this evening is that Jehovah is king in Israel. Jehovah then ratifies, he's already, he's already enjoying, the people are already enjoying a relationship with, with the Lord. They're already sensing his fatherly care. Yeah, I mean, these people could have certainly prayed our Father who art in heaven. They certainly could have. But Jehovah ratifies his relationship with his people by extending uh, this covenant, the covenant with them. Jehovah promises his kingly help to them uh, and his presence with them, his help and his presence with them as a nation. And his people pledge their service and obedience to him. God, God, King Jehovah pledges his protection, his service, and the people pledge obedience. All right. Three points, not a long sermon. First point is that King Jehovah promises to keep his nation through a, a gracious covenant. This is a king who has is, who is gathered his people to himself from a, a beastly, arrogant, idolatrous, abusive, tyrannical Pharaoh. And um, uh, he here foretells or prophesies the Lord through, his, through Moses foretells those events that will take place uh, after Israel settles the promised land. He's telling them uh, that uh, he's, he's going to use his people to clear the land and, uh, and through his people uh, to realize the promise that he had given, he pledged himself to Abraham. You know, remember that, that covenant? Uh, the Lord said, I will drive out the Hittites and all that. And uh, the Lord stated that covenant to Abraham as an unconditional uh, covenant. And so now he's, he's, he's going to do this. He's going to deliver and he will do this. So Jehovah pledges what? He pledges, first of all, to send 
an angel or his angel uh, before them, before them meaning uh, as a leader, uh, you might say as, as the pillar of cloud by day. And sometimes the pillar of cloud, of course, would go behind uh, the, the camp of Israel to protect them from their, from their encroaching enemies and the Egyptians. But, but still, uh, the, the idea is uh, this angel, this messenger, is key to the victory. Uh, without the angel, uh, the people will not have their guide. And the angel is, 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 is given so that the people uh, who are um, lacking faith and, and needing more assurance will see that the Lord is with them. Uh, so he was the large. Uh, so Jehovah pledges to send his angel to fulfill their days, and what this means is that uh, miscarriages will be uh, unknown. He will remove sickness, which is is a magnificent thing. He, in other words, to fulfill the days is that the Lord will not cut them off in the midst of their days. There will not be a, a, a discipline. Uh, of course, now this is the people that. Um, will be under discipline because they did not, they will not believe the promise to enter the land. Um, the spies going out and giving a, a, a bad report of how difficult it will be because the people are taller, as if they were playing basketball, you know? It's just crazy. Jehovah is with them. So Jehovah plus zero equals advantage. So go, but no, go. People say no. Why? Unbelief, and that's a major theme in the book of Hebrews. They, they did not enter because of unbelief, and unbelief is a mother sin. It gives birth to many, many vipers of, of lesser sins. So watch that. But he will fulfill their days. This is a blessing. He's, he's promising an angel, which is a help and, and, and a leader. He's promising to fulfill their days. They're going to have uh, as normal a life as one might have in a fallen world. Uh, he will terrify the Canaanites. I, I mean, uh, some of these tribes will be driven out by hornets, of all things. Insects. Can you imagine? You remember the plagues of Egypt? You remember what a pestilence that was? How would you like to be eh, vacated from your home here in Houston by an overwhelming horde of hornets? You can't, you can't swat them away. There's no... Orc and service is going to deal with you, you know? What are you, how are you going to get a, warrant, a warranty there on a, on a house cleaning? You know, we're going to insecticide. Could you please rid my house? No, the whole, whole of Houston is infested with this thing. We're moving out. Houston is lost. The Lord is mighty, and some, sometimes he uses little bugs <laughs> to, to affect his will. He will drive out all of the current Inhabitants. Now, if people read this, they go, "What oh, a cruel God!" I thought He loved. I thought He loved all people equally. Well, in a sense, yes, He is a just God, an equitable God. And if we were to look at every creature as the creature Himself, God has no favorites. God is not more prone to like one race than another, or an intelligent person more than another. And there is no one righteous more righteous than another as far as their nature, intrinsic to their person, because all are dead in sins and trespasses. All right? That's not what's going on. The, this, the, the, the reason that God does this is because he so, chose to, he so chose to do it. He's God. He doesn't have to explain our cho his choices to us. But he's going to drive out those curves in, in heaven because, as he promised, he will uh, judge their sin in due time. He will set the boundary of the promised land. And this, my friend, is, is I, I think you'll see the wisdom of, of this. Every nation needs to have uh, an identity, a personal identity as to what that nation is. Nations have names, don't they? Nations have boundaries. I don't want to get into a quarrel, a political quarrel here, but a nation without boundaries, that's not a nation, is it? A, a nation without borders? Is that a nation? No. Even the Bible says that the, the promised land, the land that Israel has, will have a boundary. Now, this is important because they are to dwell in that land and to dwell contentedly. 
the, the lust for, for power, the, the lust for dominion in man uh, must be contained. Sol even Solomon had to be contained. You know, I would hate to have read in, the, in, our, in God's Bible that Solomon was really um, an imperial tyrant like Alexander the Great or, or the Caesars. They just want to gobble up more people and more lands and just keep going. The Persians wanted to gobble up the Greeks. No different than any other people. No, Israel is to be contented with an allotted land. That itself is wisdom. That itself is goodness. And it gives people a lot more to think about than how to conquer their neighbors. The history of all mankind is about wars. <sighs> anyway, enough of that. He will give the people land as a father gives their son, his, uh, his sons and daughters an inheritance. This is not their reward. And the Lord did not choose Israel because they were more righteous than the Egyptians. He did not save them to himself because they were more numerous or mightier. They're, no, for his own reasons, because he desired them because his soul loved them from eternity past. And he will give, to, he will give them their inheritance. Now, that doesn't mean they can't be, they, it doesn't mean they're not going to have to be diligent in warfare. It doesn't mean they're not going to have to go forward by faith. Yeah, they, I mean, the Lord's going to use them. And they, they need to take care of themselves to be fit for war and all that. But still, they'll find out that the overwhelming victory all along is the Lord. Does that sound a little bit like what we see in the New Testament? We can, you know, we are to work our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so he who began a good work in us will certainly complete it, complete it unto the day uh, of, of redemption. Um, now I want to say also that this covenant is Although it's going to be enacted here, the, the offer there is before the people. It's going to be it's going to be uh, sealed. It's going to be um, it, it's going to be enacted as their national covenant. This covenant is not with this generation and these people alone. Now the fathers and the mothers are there with the children. The children the children are listening, but then their children and their children's children, the children after them, are also represented here. That's the nature of the covenant. The covenant is not with the fathers, but with us. Says one, of the, uh, says one of the teachings, uh, much, much later, much, much later, uh, centuries later, the covenant is in place because the children are in the loins of the parents. And as such, they are covenantally represented in the national covenant. And so that's how God works uh, in redemptive history. So King Jehovah here promises to keep his nation, not just in this generation, but the children and the children's children, by a gracious covenant. Second point of the sermon. King Jehovah, uh, King Jehovah's people promise allegiance. They pledge this allegiance in this very same covenant. Both sides uh, pledge themselves to something. Both sides agree. And uh, chiefly, what they are to do is to hear the voice of Jehovah and to uh, remember his teachings, his precepts, his ordinances, and statutes, and they are to obey. Uh, that doesn't mean that they are not to believe. And this is not. This is not. This is not pitting obedience as works versus faith. It's not. It's not here. Of course, if you don't believe them, then you're not going to obey from the heart. And obedience, uh, external obedience, is certainly not what King Jehovah is going to uh, is going to be pleased with his people. We've already seen the faith uh, of Moses. And we'll see further the faith of Joshua. We'll see the faith of Caleb. We'll see that they trust the Lord, and the Lord rewards them because they're true Hebrews without guile. Okay? Jehovah's help then is conditioned upon this national obedience. At this point, it, under the Davidic covenant, which is an enhancement to the Mosaic covenant in Sinai, the king takes a pivotal position. And this is because the king of Israel or the king of Judah is going to be, uh, God is queuing on that particular person as far as the national blessings or national 
chase the means of national curses go because it's, it's really the intermediate covenant preparing for the new covenant when Jesus' arrival, uh, such as we find in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. He's plainly Jesus is king. He's born king. He's worshipped as king, king of angels. Uh, heaven worships him in the crib, uh, king of, of men, the, the wise men come. And where is the king born? Okay, he's the king. Uh, so all depends now, uh, more so than ever, more so than ever in the New Testament on the king. All right, but let's, let's look at this covenant between two ways. There's an unconditional and there's a conditional uh, things to take a look at. Jehovah's help is, in is conditional, excuse me, Jehovah's help is unconditional and an unconditional covenant of grace because there's only one covenant and it runs through the whole of the Bible and Christ is a mediator in both and he sends his spirit uh, to prophets and to others believing in the Old Testament. He promises them um, heart circumcision in the Old Testament and that can only be the spirit's circumcision. The continuing Abrahamic covenant uh, is here portrayed and you remember that that covenant um, in Genesis 12 is presented in this in this way. Uh, I'll read it. I'll read it for you. Genesis 12 and verse one, and then again in verse seven, the Lord Jehovah said to Abram, "Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you." And in verse seven, he says, "The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land." So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. He gives them, he gives them the command to go, very similar to what's happening here. Just they're on the march. They're, they're on the march to the promised land. And then the Lord says, I will give. And this is a promise. Okay? So that's, it's, it's, it's on Jehovah. And he's pledged himself to be the God of Abraham. That Jehovah himself will fulfill all the terms of this covenant as well. Why? Because he's El Shaddai. He's, on, he's all powerful. And because he's all of grace, he's favored Israel above any people. No other people in the world have the advantage that Israel has because Israel has the revelation of God, his promises, but not only a naked promise, but a, covenant, a, a, a promise sealed in a covenant with, the, with, with blood, representing the very divine blood of the mediator of the covenant of grace. No other nation has that. It's a huge privilege to have been an Israelite in every age of the church. You know, Abraham did nothing to merit Jehovah's blessing. And as far as children, he was as good as dead, 99 years old. What can you expect? You're going to go to the neonatal, you know, look for a baby there? You're 99 years old. It, it's a miracle. It's a mir Isaac was a miracle child. And this is a miracle deliverance from Egypt, and it's a miracle placing, placement of Abraham's seed in the promised land. Now, the land promise itself has, as far as the unconditional covenant of grace, it is unconditional. Uh, the people will have the land. And they did have the land. As long as Jehovah extended his rod of favor by way of covenant to the people. But when the rod of favor is broken, everything falls apart. So unconditional elements, but then we see, we see a conditional element because the people do pledge themselves to the king Jehovah. The conditional uh, here uh, is administered as publicly as a nation uh, to the visible church. Back then, not all of Israel was Israel. Today, not all who are in the visible church are the church, we, we have to learn this lesson reading from the Old Testament. Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, with, with most of the, the people in the wilderness, God was not well pleased. But of his, uh, of his sons in Christ in the New Testament, he says, well, this is my son in, in whom is all my pleasure. Okay, so there is the true Israel, which is Christ. And he is the only one who's perfected uh, any condition of the covenant of law here. And so when we, as Christians today, if we see conditions in the Scripture which we know we can't meet, we rush to the one in whom all, uh, all grace and all promise is unconditional, and that is Christ. 
And if you are baptized and if you have placed your faith in him, then you are certainly an heir of God, certain to have his uh, inheritance as long as you keep your boast in the one true Israel. Jesus Christ is the true Israel. He is the angel of the Lord that is, that is leading us today. Now, back then, though, back, back to 1450 B.C., uh, if they serve King Jehovah, he pledges to remove their sickness. Uh, faithfulness in the covenant maintains their situation, their placement, their possession of Canaan. You can see that very plainly. The, the one, and not just ordinary sins, but the, the one sins, the one sin that, that displeases God to the point where he, he, tur he turns wrathful and he will move people, he will move and shake up every nation, is idolatry. If a nation is given to idolatry, the next thing on their agenda, you can plan on it, is long sojourning, a wandering people, a wandering, strange people, no homeland, no identity, no nationality, just because they've given themselves to a false god. Faithfulness, though, maintains them in the land. And that's a gracious, that's a gracious judgment. The Lord is overlooking many, 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 many sins. And he's forgiving many, 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 many sins. Otherwise, one sin, you know, one sin, Adam forfeited the land that he was given, which was paradise. But one sin and many, many sins will not have Israel forfeit the land. But if their hearts are given to idolatry, then they're plainly not the spouse of Christ. They're certainly not the church of Christ. They are a whore and no, no faithful bride. And uh, the marriage deal is off. The marriage deal is off. They are forbidden then to covenant with any of the gods of the Canaanites. Of course, you just keep in mind that what seals these covenants uh, and the temptation, the, temp the temptation there to worship false gods will, will always be there in the history of Israel. Even Solomon fell to that, the wisest man, a prophet and a king. If you think that's, that idolatry is, is, so, is too gross and manifest for you to be bewitched by it, and consider, my friends, consider the idolatry, how it haunted, how it pursued Israel all those years. Consider and fear. And let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I have a note here from Ian Campbell. King Jehovah then desires obedience from his people, not as the basis for his benefits. He's going to, he, he brought them benefits before they knew his name properly. It, it, it's not the basis for his benefits. He redeemed them from Israel before ever he gave the law. But as a response to all that he's done and will do for them. It's a gracious response. It's a, it's a thank you note for the Valentine chocolates. Okay? All right. Third point, final point. King Jehovah then himself is the promised angel to Israel. The angel is Jehovah's pledge to his people. This promised angel guards them. You know how angels are powerful. You know, one angel was enough to subdue the whole camp uh, of the Persian army in Hezekiah's day. This promised angel must be revered, must be obeyed. And so you know that this angel is divinity. The angel is then more than a common angel or more than a common messenger. Jehovah's prior dealings with Abraham and Moses give insight into uh, the identity of this angel. The angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar, for instance, in Genesis 16, 7. She fled from Sarah's presence because uh, her son, Ishmael, was, was taunting uh, the newborn, the more recent, his younger brother, half-brother. But the angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar and uh, gave instructions that she was to return to her maid. Uh, the same appeared to Abraham in Genesis 22, and Abraham uh, greeted him 
warmly and, and much revered him, and it's a mysterious visit, but we know that these were not just ordinary angels. Moses met with this angel in the burning bush, the angel of the Lord, Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, especially in verse 30, uh, 21 of the same. Therefore, this angel is really the presence of the Lord himself. Jehovah speaks to them. And at times, his voice is heard from sort of resounding around the mountain. It must have been like a sense around sound. Or something. I don't know what, 360, I don't know what's going on there. But he certainly speaks sometimes directly to the people as, as in a thundering voice in Jesus' day. Uh, but most directly through prophets. That's how it's going to go. And Jehovah leads them. And uh, it, this is a supernatural, omnipotent, wise, most just, most merciful, good, and trustworthy messenger. You could not ask for a better leader. And of course, under that kind of leadership, what happens? Uh, success. The people are going forward. And that's why in the New Testament we're told that Christ leads his church triumphantly, always, continually. He always, as Paul says, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, he always leads us in triumph. And he says this after, he's, after Paul has experienced a considerable agony, <laughs> writing to the Corinthians regarding their, their ignorance, their, their unfaithfulness, etc. Having Jehovah's presence, then Israel, it, it can't. It can, they cannot fail to possess the land uh, and, and to keep it as long as, as, long as God dwells. Now, this is, this is a, uh, an introduction to, into the, the next, several next several portions of, of this chapter 23 and, and 24 especially. As God is with, if Jehovah is in the camp, if God is with his people, God with us, Emmanuel, that principle sticks into the New Testament, and that is why the church succeeds. It's not by strength, not by might, but by my spirit, my presence, says the Lord. It's not to him who wills, it's not to, to him who runs, but to God who has favor. Now the angel of the Lord Jehovah will drive out. He, he himself, just like he says, I will give this land to your descendants after you, Abraham. He said that when Abraham was childless and old. Okay, the people here, of course, are directed explicitly to obedience, but certainly implicitly to faith, because this is the angel of the Lord that will drive out and dispossess the nations before Israel, and that's a promise. This is a gospel, because this is the angel of the Lord with them. This is the gospel in the Old Testament. And can you think of anything better? than God with you. Uh, can you think of anything better, a, a higher status among any people than friendship with the creator of all things? The nations that will be driven out are named Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites. You know, we don't look for these because they're gone. They've been dispersed. Why? Idolatry. Over and over again. If you want to lose your place and stature, worship a false god. If you want to be driven to the ends of the earth and suffer as a sojourner, going from place to place, no resting place, like a morning dove, where, where, where do I nest? Winter's coming, oh, it's, I'm exposed to the freezing winter. I'm all alone, I got no assets. If you want that, Give yourself to idolatry. And again, it's a much more subtle sin than you might think. Gross idolatry here is, is, is prevalent with Amorites, Hittites, Hivites, all that. But uh, they're going to be driven out. Uh, also, these, these people are named so that we who have science and archaeology, we have methods, we have dating methods, we have ways of discovering and unearthing things in the, in the ground that the, through the ages have been encrusted with rock and soil and all that. This, this, these people are named to show us the, the integrity of the scriptures. I mean, the Old Testament is historical, true historical narrative, and every, every Jew knew this. 
It's amazing how Christians today, having the Spirit, so many people claiming to be Christian and claiming to have the Spirit, don't really believe in the integrity of, Mo of the Mosaic record. Or there, there was any such thing as a Hittite. Well, that's just foolishness and unbelief. And there's nothing new under the sun. Unbelief has been with so-called people of God all, all the while. The iniquity of these people has finally reached... Uh, has finally been topped off, and that, that's in uh, Genesis 15 and verse uh, 16. Genesis 15 and verse 16. Um, As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, he says to Abraham. They, your children, shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And the Lord, see the Lord's great patience and forbearance. He seems to excuse sin, but he doesn't. He doesn't excuse it, but he is very patient that all may come, all of his children may come to repentance. The nations are judged by Jehovah God. And not only uh, is, it, is it absolutely... Uh, it's absolutely clear that this is Jehovah who's driving out. And all the nations all around them, they were not a superstitious people in that sense. They knew that, it, they knew that their God was fighting for them. It became very apparent that this, this tiny nation was toppling larger nations, more populous nations, stronger nations, wealthier nations. Nations that came together by covenant and alliance and tried, and tried to stop them, but they couldn't because... Because Jehovah is with them. It became very, very evident. But these nations are all judged, not by the Israelites. They were the instruments of, of Jehovah's uh, uh, judgment. Just like a preacher who preaches truly the, the scriptures is going to land on people's sins, and he's going to upset people every once in a while. And, and, but it's God who's, who's judging the people and the sin and not the minister, if he applies the text properly. It's God who's done, doing it but his instrument is the minister. It's God who's judging the nations, and his instrument is Israel. These nations will be judged then using the people of Jehovah, Jehovah, Joshua, uh, the judges in all the judges period, etc. And of course, those who followed the, those leaders in, in their time. Now Jehovah will then have a holy nation. That was his, his uh, intention in Exodus 19 and 6. A, a, a people distinguished, separate from the, separate from all nations, all together to Himself, peculiarly covenanted. God again. There's a, there's a general father fatherhood of God, but this is not a saving relationship. God is uniquely the God of Israel. All right, and and then all other gods are but idols, and they will vanish from under, their memory will vanish, their names will vanish from under the sun. Jehovah will have a holy people. Jehovah will have a holy nation. The idolatrous nations will, will always present a temptation to Jehovah's people if they remain. And so they will be removed. They will be removed. And this is an Old Testament, <laughs> this is an Old Testament uh, riddance uh, of sinners. Today we welcome sinners to our neighbors, our neighborhoods, because we want to come, we want the Lord to bring their gospel to them, and we invite them to church. We're not running from the nations today, and we are not executing the wicked today in this sense uh, that we leave that to the civil magistrate. But in the theonomy, uh, law, uh, crime, and sin—they're uh, they're one thing. They're, they're one thing. So Israel is the uh, is the church underage, and as such. It needs protection. Israel is going to have the protection of God. It needs a geological, or rather a geographical sanctuary, borders, and it needs to, it needs to be protected from the culture, from, from the religions, from the manners, the way of life. Every Greek knows that they went to war to protect the way of life in Athens or in the way of life in Sparta. These are the things that the people have nourished and their forefathers before them, the way of life, their liberties, their, their language, their cultures, their food. They're fighting for this. Israel is to fight for the, the honor and the glory of their God.
And if they contaminate, if they mix, if they take in the ideas and the gods of the people around them, Abraham's race would be lost. And if Abraham's race is lost, then the seed promise is vacated. And if the seed promise is vacated, there is no Messiah. And if there's no Messiah, then the world is lost forever. And that's just not going to happen. That's just not going to happen. So this arrangement, the covenant arrangement, therefore, is kept. The old covenant is kept until the promised seed of Abraham, Messiah, is born. Uh, and then, of course, all of this is, much of it is fulfilled, the ceremonial, the civil, all of that, uh, the boundaries, the land, all of that is a feature of the old covenant. If we understood this a little bit better, we wouldn't have a lot of trouble, right? We have a lot of tension in the Middle East because as, as a Western church, we've been poking around, not understanding, not understanding Mosaic Covenant. Today, the church has no geographical boundary. And I, I, I can't speak uh, with authority as to uh, national Israel today, but uh, as Israel as a people is not covenanted to Jehovah today. If they fail Christ, they are covenanted under Adam. They are not under a covenant of grace at all. They must repent. They must believe in, in the seed of Abraham, which has been their religion all along. I mean, we're the ones who, we're the ones who were, that were annexed to Israel. Not, we're not asking that they be annexed to the church. What we're saying is that they need to return to the true faith of, of Abraham, which we have done. We've gone to them and been, and, and been grafted into the stock of Abraham. We were the sojourners, the idolaters. They were the true people. But when they rejected Messiah, they rejected everything. Because Jesus, as Messiah, is given as the covenant to the people. And they rejected the covenant, which is not the case here. The covenant here is being enacted, and it will be ratified in the blood by blood. All right, conclusion. Jehovah is king in Israel. Jehovah ratifies his relationship with his people by covenant. He promises his kingly help to them and his presence with them as a nation. And his people pledge their service and obedience to him. And again, implicit to this is, of course, believing his promises that he's going to do what he's pledged to do, drive out the nations, settle them, keep them safe. Now, my friends, the New Testament is no, is no less gracious than the Old Testament. If you thought this is a great arrangement, you should see some of the features of it. This is, it has a lot of goodness to it. The New Testament is not, is not less gracious. We're said, John says that grace, ours who have believed in Christ, we have grace upon grace. Grace is heaped upon grace. The greater grace is ours today. And so if, if, if Israel had and enjoyed the presence of God in their camp, we, we, have, we have the presence of God with us. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have God's presence in the called assembly where two or three are gathered there in our midst. And the Great Commission, Christ says, hey, go forth, baptize all, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all such things I've commanded you. Commanded you. That's the gospel. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. And so do we know Jesus as that angel of the covenant? He's the one who goes before us. He's the one that ensures the victory. He's, he's our, literally our Joshua, which means the same thing, Jehovah saves. Are you resting then in God's unconditional promise that he will, he will be exalted among his people? He, he will... He will give an inheritance to Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the covenant serving his father. He obeyed him perfectly, uh, even unto death. And he laid down his life. Every term uh, that uh, the Lord the Father had him fulfill, uh, to do, he fulfilled. And so he is that faithful Israel. And he will have his inheritance. And what is his inheritance? Well, all things. Jesus inherits from the Father all things, but especially the people that he bought with his own blood. And he has prayed for them in his high priestly prayer, and he sanctified them. We are his inheritance. He will, he will have his inheritance. 
because Jesus has merited, he has earned it in his obedience to in God's covenant. And so do you know Jesus as the Savior who leads you? Do you know him as the conquering hero who will keep you uh, as his own? And ours is to know, know, know him more dearly and nearly and to believe all uh, that he is and has done for us. How then are you distinct from the non-covenanted people of Jehovah? The church must have, as it were, spiritual boundaries. The church must be distinguished as light and salt in the world. If it loses its salt and, and it loses its, uh, its light, it, it is because Ichabod, the glory, has departed. But as long as God is in the sanctuary, Jehovah will have his people distinguished as holy. Holy means separate, but also means uh, a people that, that expresses obedience to him. Now, you should be perfectly assured that because Christ is the true Israel, and all these things uh, were laid upon the, the people of old, and they all came to pass. God was faithful to the promises of Abraham. He's going to be faithful under Moses and Joshua to give them the land. We know, we know this history. We know all of this. How much more so should we be certain and take good confidence and take good comfort in that God being with us, that he will give us rest, he will give us an inheritance, he will give us heaven, he will give us himself. He will give us himself. We are his inheritance and he is our inheritance. Now that is glorious and that's the gospel promise. Believe on this promise. Your sins are covered. Christ has reconciled us by his blood to God. He is our righteousness. We lack nothing by way of righteousness. All is sealed and all is yours because of your union with Christ, the head, who is altogether victorious. Let's pray. Now, Lord, we pray that this Old Testament will not be strange to us, that we would see our forefathers, our forefathers are here. Abraham, the father of all the faithful, and, and faithful men whom we would call brothers, and we will call brothers in heaven and in the new heavens and the new earth. For all of these people are yours, and we are yours through the purchase blood of Christ. And so now, Lord, help us to be wise. Help us not to be foolish. Help us to, to know the terms of, of life, how to enjoy the presence of our God in, in the camp, in the church. And uh, help us, Lord, to believe all your promise and to, by your grace, and by your spirit, uh, obey all that you commanded us, universal, perpetual obedience to all that you have for us. We pray that we would mirror something of the glory, of the wisdom, the goodness, uh, the kindness and mercy of our God, and especially to the world around us. Let your church be salt and light, a peculiar people even as you are a most, a most holy God whom we serve. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.